Hi, and welcome to Shrinks on the Street. Today's interview with world-renowned psychologist, Dr. Richard Wiseman. I am your host, M. Gary Newman, with my wise co-host and daughter, Esther Newman-Halperin. Go to newmanmethod.com, N-E-U-M-A-N method.com. Find out more about our work with Oprah, our New York Times bestselling work, and other projects we have to offer the community. So I want to get right to it. We have such a, a wonderful guest today, and I'm honored to have you on our show. And um, interesting enough, I think not only would Dr. Wiseman enlighten us, but I think he has things that will tell us, that he'll tell us that uh, might be uncomfortable for some people because we're going to be talking about um, you know luck paranormal activity prayer and and his views on it so we have Pretty a lot amazing. to learn yeah. let's get to it professor richard wiseman has been described by scientific american as one of the most interesting and innovative experimental psychologists in the world today his books have sold over three million copies <laughs> and include i think everyone should know this one the luck factor 59 seconds and night school and uh, if you haven't read them uh, go out and uh, go out and get them or download them he holds britain's only professorship in the public understanding of psychology which might be interesting because I, I i don't think the public or even private know psychology but the public he helps the public know psychology at the university of Hertfordshire. And I said that wrong. It's Hertfordshire. I don't know. He's one of the most followed psychologists on Twitter, a member of the Inner Magic Circle. Got it. Can't get more fascinating. Finally, he has psychology YouTube videos, psychology-based YouTube videos that you have to go watch. I mean, we've watched many of them. They're unbelievable. That they have attracted over. Take a guess. In the millions, of course, I'll help you out. How many views this man has had on YouTube? Three million. Three million. Yeah, okay. So if you that's add That's that's a lot. <laughs> exactly. That's, so that's, if, it's, that's... <laughs> if it's 30 million, if it's 100 million, <laughs> this man has had over 500 million views. You understand? And I like to think of that as, because I'm that's good crazy. at math, over half a billion views. That's okay? crazy. So, it's phenomenal. So it's unbelievable. Thank you so very much uh, for being here. And uh, we just... We, we're, we're very so, excited. We're so excited. It's uh, pretty clear. Pleasure. Pleasure to be here. First question for you, Dr. Wiseman, I think, is this idea of luck. First of all, why do people love the idea of luck? What, what is it about us? I think we, we live uncertain lives. Um, as, as you know, what's going on in the world at the moment is showing us. We like to think that we're in control. Uh, we enjoy the thought of being in control. And yet we know there's a lot of uncertainty out there. So the idea of kind of doing something that, that courts luck, courts good fortune, means those uncertain events will always work out in our favour, I think is immensely attractive. And so my research began, I don't know, I guess, well, about, about 20 years ago now uh, in, into luck when I was uh, carrying out research into the paranormal. And some people would say, oh, I don't believe in psychic stuff, but I do consider myself exceptionally lucky. And at the time, <laughs> no one had done... And, and, and when you think about it, it's, it's an interesting distinction. Yes. And at the time, no one had really carried out very much research into luck. They'd said, oh, it's like winning or losing the lottery. You know, it's all chance. There's no science to be done. Or they'd said, uh, these people are just kidding themselves. And I didn't believe either of those interpretations. And so I went out and I found a thousand, the most uh, lucky and unlucky people uh, across the world, and spent about a decade examining their lives and the way they, they think. And as I say, uh, sitting at the heart of that very attractive proposition 
is the notion that somehow seemingly chance events will consistently work out for you if you're lucky or consistently against you if you're unlucky. And of course it's not a very scientific stance, but I think psychologically it's a very attractive one. So the idea of we want to have control, but yet this luck factor is even when we don't have control, do we answer the psychological conundrum of not being in control by saying, well, at least when I'm not, I'll be lucky? Is that the, the compulsion to want that psychologically? I, I think it's the notion of feeling good, and of, and of course our beliefs are driven primarily by our emotions, feeling good because we think we can court chance. We can be the one that go to that party and have that chance conversation that means that a year later you're a millionaire or whatever it is. And how do you do that? Well, it's a kind of magical thought. So you have kind of magical rituals. So you cross your fingers or you touch wood or you carry a lucky charm. And when you look at those rituals, they have survived the test of time. They have survived advances in science and technology. And you get them in pretty much every culture in the world. There is something fundamental about this idea of being lucky and being able to court chance. And I think the attractiveness of it sits in this idea of um, being able to control our lives, even seemingly chance events. No, that's beautiful. And you did you did a, a fascinating study. I mean, I have quoted it for years and years uh, with the the five. I think it was five dollars on or five pounds, I guess, on the steps going into a coffee house. And it was it just and it, you can explain it better than I. But it was fascinating. And I wanted to know how you came about how you thought of that. How did that come about? Well, all of my studies and all of my research normally comes about by chance. Uh, it, it, that, that's the, that's <laughs> You're lucky. Luck. That's right. What a lucky, lucky guy. I'm lucky. <laughs> so it's, it's normally a chance conversation. Um, or I just get a thought and I think, oh, that's kind of interesting. And so I was, there's two ways of doing psychology. You can lock yourself up in the lab and do very carefully controlled studies into how memory works or whatever it is you're interested in. Or you can get out into the real world where it's really messy. You can't control all the factors, but it's a lot more fun. And, and I've always been interested in that latter type of, of psychology. Even as an undergraduate, the very first study I did was looking at how our, our emotions impact on the passing of time. And so I went to a railway station in London and uh, I saw couples either kind of kissing and leaving one another. One was getting onto the train and leaving their partner or they were coming together. So one set of couples in a good mood and the other set was in a bad mood. And I walked up to each set of couple. And I said, excuse me, would you mind helping out in the psychology experiment? How long has it been since I just said the word excuse me? And I'd measured the exact time because I got a stopwatch in my pocket. And I found that when people were sad because they were breaking up with their partner, that small amount of time seemed to go on forever. And when they were happy, it passed like that. And, and so you can study mood and, and, and time perception in the lab, or you can get out into a railway station and have fun with couples. And, and I've always just had gone down that latter track. Yeah. Can, can you tell us the about the, uh, the, the, the coffeehouse experiment that yeah. you did? So it's the same with luck. I was thinking, how do you get out into the real world? And of course, lucky people, they're telling us they find money on the street all the time. So I thought, let's, let's, get, let's get it to a test. Let's arrange to meet them for an interview in a coffee house 
And on the way, uh, we had money on the ground. We had scratch cards, which is a kind of lotto type uh, affair over here. And what do we find? The lucky people would spot it and walk into the coffee shop and say, the coffee's on me. I've just find, found five pounds. The unlucky people would walk straight over it. And our hypothesis was that it was to do with uh, what's called the attentional spotlight. When, uh, all the time, we're not seeing the whole world. We're only seeing a small part of it. And if you're in a good mood, that attentional spotlight becomes much larger. You're literally seeing more of the world. When you're anxious and worried, for good evolutionary reasons, it narrows right down. You become very threat-based. So, lucky people, good mood, big attentional spotlight. Unlucky people, bad mood, they don't see what's around them. So we did that study, we did another one where they flick through a, a newspaper and we put um, huge adverts in the newspaper saying, if you've seen this, um, tell the experimenter and win £100. And the lucky people would flick through to see these adverts, the unlucky people missed them. So it's always to me that tension of getting psychology into the real world but in such a way that you can kind of say something meaningful about what's happening. So, so, so you're saying so lucky people, by being happy, we see more of the world, we are able to accept, you know, more good things will come to us by being happy. So lucky people, by definition, are they happier because they're seeing more of the world? Um, lucky people, yes. So, so lucky people are, I mean, I say happiness, actually it's heavily related to anx how anx anxious you are. So happy people tend to be less anxious, more relaxed, see more of the world. Unlucky people, less. Um, and then, of course, the issue is what do you do with that $5 on the street or the scratch card or whatever? And the other attribute that lucky people have is that um, they are prepared to move in directions they didn't intend to move. They're very flexible people. So they see that money, they pick it up, and now that changes the rest of the day for them. Unlucky people often stuck in a rut so that even if they do see an opportunity, they don't make the most of it. So, so does, so does open-mindedness yeah. add to yeah. the perspective of luck? A absolutely. So we were starting to unravel some of these attributes of a lucky life and a lucky mind. And one of them is definitely happiness. One of them is definitely optimism. Lucky people expect the best and that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, in terms of open-mindedness, they've got a goal, but they're not certain how they're going to get there. And uh, unlucky people often only have one plan. When it doesn't work out, they haven't got a plan B. Uh, lucky people very well connected in the world. They're very they're social folks. Um, when we were doing the research, that translated into being extroverts. Nowadays, you can be well connected on the web and be an introvert, actually. Um, but they were always looking for the win-win. They were, they were group team players. They wanted to know how everything could work out the best for all of them. The unlucky people tended to be quite focused on themselves. And so you started to see these patterns. That it wasn't chance. It wasn't magic, as it were. It was just very, very good psychology at work. And so your point is that luck is not this magical thing that's happening to people. It's very much based in our moods and our psychology. How about things that happen? How do people explain they win the lottery, right? Lots of people play it. It's not something to do with their mood. They woke up and some people were in lousy moods and good things happen to them outside their control. Just chance, How do you? what do you say about that? Yeah, I, I would say that's, that's just chance. And so we do make a distinction between chance and luck. Now, but the fact is they're related. 
So if you win the lottery, you feel lucky, that starts to kick off all the thoughts that I've been speaking about, and then you become lucky in life. Um, but I don't think the reverse is true. I don't think that by thinking positive thoughts, you'll end up winning the lottery or doing well in Vegas. You're up against chance. You might end up buying more tickets, and that will give you a marginal odds. But, but for me, they're very different processes. One of them, I understand the psychology. The other doesn't make sense uh, from a, a psychological perspective. Yeah. So let's quickly go into Esther. <laughs> Meditating and programming. Oh, let's my gosh. Let's talk about programming. Let's, let's talk about it. I, I'm very curious to hear your <laughs> thoughts on this because I, I really love what you're saying. And I think for people now in the midst of the world is so crazy to, to have people actually feel if that they can be lucky by being in control, by having these positive thoughts, by being, you know, trying themselves to push themselves to be lucky right. can it's open a window, right. which it's is nice kind to, of nice, yeah. I think. It's nice it's to you, feel that you can create yeah. your own so-called luck, which is basically right. being in a very happy space and maintaining right. that. So now how does, beyond that, that. how does that work? You know, I, 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 I am a meditator. I like to meditate. And um, a recent meditate, you know, recent course I took was meditation, but where you kind of program what you want, you're visualizing what you want, and that it will come to fruition. So what? Oh, your books. Oh, remember that book, um, The Secret. Remember? The Secret. Yes, people you love The have, Secret. You yes. must have been fascinated by all of that. How does that display to you with you know the mental images, visualization, or the programming aspect? Uh, well, first of all, I mean, I personally, I can't get on with meditation. I have tried. <laughs> I do not understand it. I do not know why it's attractive to anyone. I get bored. I enjoy my thoughts. Okay. I don't okay. get okay. it. Okay, right. okay. sit back. Sit back. I know. I know. I've, I've got we friends who meditate. start by breathing. <laughs> exactly. No, I, I've tried everything. I've tried sure. everything. I've got friends who meditators. They, they, they like rang a bell and I have to listen to that. I'm bored. I've got the shortest attention span. It speaks well to your open-mindedness that you tried it, that you, you did try it. I'll try it. I'll try it. But I'll try it for 10 seconds. I'm so bored in 10 <laughs> seconds. I've got the shortest attention span of any. I'm the worst meditator, right. I think, in the okay. world. We'll I don't call get you it. as a nickname the anti-meditator. <laughs> I'm the anti-meditator. I'm so jealous of people like yourself that have a good time meditating. I don't know what you're doing in there, but whatever it is, I can't do it. So um, <laughs> I have no insight. Um, however, apparently it relaxes you. Uh, and, and that's a good thing in general, as we've been saying about relaxation. Um, in terms of the positive imagery, again, this is where the psychology starts to unpack. Lots of psychology shows that if you're optimistic about the future, yes, indeed, better things happen to you. You know, at the most basic level, you go out and smile. People smile back. You, if they want to be around you, you've got more connections with other people. Um, in terms of goal setting, though, if you just wish for a positive thing and don't think about what you need to do to get there, that can be harmful. So there's been lots of studies where you get students to um, just wish for um, an A grade in an exam. And the problem is their brain says, well, you've kind of done it then. We don't need to put in the revision and the asking questions and so on. And so what you need to do is also think about what those steps are and visualize the process as well as the end point. And that's a pretty powerful thing to do because then you imagine yourself doing those things, you're more likely to do it. If you just imagine endpoint, it's not such a good uh, outcome. So this again is where, you know, psychology starts to unpack. So it isn't just thinking positive, it's thinking positive in a particular way.
So is it possible when people visualize or they so-called program in their mind a certain outcome that they are, the psychology now is perhaps that they will be uh, working harder toward it, they will be more focused on it, more flexible about how to get there. And that is the psychology explaining. It's not this magical programming, perhaps. I mean, people do, is that your thought? Yeah, I mean, pretty much. I mean, I don't think there's anything magical happening with it. But what you'd want to know is what type of visualization is best. Right. And you're saying so the one that, that has right. steps involved. It has, has, has process, has right. process. process. Right. What you've got to do to get there, uh, if it's that type of goal. Um, so, you know, if you're trying to meet your dream partner or whatever, that's more of an open mindedness kind of goal is, is that let's be open minded to meeting lots of different people. Let's go out to different places and so on. Um, but if it's something like an exam, which has got, a, you know, you've got to be a good student, ask questions, revise uh, and so on. Uh, that's that's much more step based. But the important thing is to remember, you've got to put in the effort to get there. There isn't a magical solution. If you if you just convince your, uh, your brain that you're already there, you won't put in the effort. It reduces the chances. Right. So the idea that you can visualize, you can program, but that but. Just open-endedness is not going to work for you. You have to think about what the steps are that are going to take you there. Now, lucky people, have you found, do they do that more so than unlucky people where they have specific steps in mind? Yeah, absolutely. So actually, they, they are tend to be into meditation. Uh, they also tend to be quite intuitive people. And so they'll have quite strong intuitions. This is something I do have, actually. Uh, and they'll follow those intuitions. The unlucky people are often over-analytical so they analyze everything. By the time they've got a game plan, the world has moved on and they're out of date. So, so it's, it's that, that, that really important thing of um, yeah, trusting your intuition, knowing when to trust it and when not to trust it, but, but knowing that um, if you're positive and, and know your end point, you're more likely to get there. That, that's the sort of chance um, uh, favors the prepared mind. Does argument. this work to like illness? Like I have spoken to people who have had you know very bad illnesses and their survival they attribute to this concept like as soon as i heard i said i'm gonna beat this you know and is there what's the psychology behind that i mean i always sometimes you know am clear with people that those people who died yeah. it's not like oh, not yeah. a good positive thinker what can you do you know i mean of course no. obviously it can't be that you can fight right but does it a terminal help? illness but, but can it help? with just that but but does it help and how might it help well, I mean, you raised an interesting point there. I mean, you're not, unfortunately, interviewing the ones that didn't make it through. So they may have had just as a positive uh, an outcome and, uh, sorry, a positive uh, worldview. Um, there is some research on, on that. And again, not surprisingly, this is linked to a concept of resilience, which is what happens if you become fatalistic. So if you think there is no hope, and it doesn't need to be illness, it can be in the world in, in general, you think, well, there's no point in... I don't know, going to the gym or looking after myself or taking my medication or whatever. And that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, if you're more positive, you think the future holds positive things for you. And particularly if it's meaningful, there is a reason to carry on, whether it's to spend more time with loved ones or whatever. That's tremendously motivating. Of course, it has its limitations in terms of our physiology and health. But it's, it's just you know, a positive thing in terms of, um, of health, health outcomes as well. And that other factor, which is resilience, is also key to, to lucky people. They are so good at finding the positive in what looks to be negative things. And so the, the story I've 
tell sometimes, um, is of the, as uh, a lucky guy actually, I uh, interviewed him twice. In between the two interviews, he fell down the stairs and broke his leg. And so he came in with his leg in a cast. And I said, oh, I, I bet you don't consider yourself quite so lucky now. Um, I probably didn't say it in that semi-minute. <laughs> but yes, that's what I said. And, and he said, without missing a beat, he said, you've got to be kidding. He said, I could do with a break from work. He said, last time I went to hospital, I met a nurse there, fell in love. We're happily married. <laughs> Best thing that ever happened to me. This could be great. And uh, so it is, it is that, that natural resilience uh, which, which pushes them through the bad luck, which, you know, unfortunately, we all experience. <laughs> For me, have you found uh, some kind of population that develops that? Like, have you thought about, oh, well, their childhood, uh, you know, they had certain parents, parents, certain um, disturbance as a, you know, in their inner childhood culture. I mean, you know, what might have you found any, you know, leaning toward having that kind of perception? Yeah, it's a very good question. And again, we didn't do research into this, but we saw it. Often families would come in because we would be testing the mom or the dad and they'd bring in their kids. And we would give the kids games to play just to occupy them. And you could see the parents passing on their attitudes to the kids, even in that microcosm. So if it was an unlucky family or an unlucky person, their kids wouldn't shake the right number on a dice and they go, oh, there you go. That's just our bad luck again. So reinforcing what had just gone wrong, where the lucky people were passing on these very resilient attitudes. So if the interview was late, They'd say, oh, that's great because we get to spend more time together. You know, and, and so you could see it being passed on from one generation to another. And I think that, that is where most of the work is being done. That's where we pick up how we think and feel about the world. Do you find that positive people or lucky people tend to surround themselves with lucky people? Meaning if you're an unlucky person, you know, well, you're going to stay unlucky because your friends are not, you know, lucky, positive people. Yeah, I mean, it, it, like all our emotions, they're contagious. And, and so, you know, if I smile and energetic, then that infuses the people around me. Um, and, and if I'm not, it's the opposite. And positive emotions are less contagious than negative ones. It only takes one negative person to bring down a whole group uh, and one positive or a couple of positive people to lift them up. But the impact that has is, is, first of all, obviously on other people's emotions, but the real impact is whether they want to spend time with you. Because if you don't make them feel good, they don't want to spend time with you, you become socially isolated. That means you don't get the resilience from sharing your problems, and you don't get the contacts and the opportunities from having that network. And I think that is absolutely at the core of a lucky life. It's interesting because we talk about it when we do a lot. We do a lot of marital yeah. therapy. We talk about it with couples. And it's so interesting because when I counsel couples and they're fighting and they're in their bad marriage, they tend to say the same thing. Well, all our friends like yeah. that are like this, like they, 100 percent of the population. And I try to explain to them, sadly, that's because happy couples don't want to be around unhappy couples <laughs> so like i'm in a happy marriage like all my friends have happy marriages yeah. i mean this it, we, we the statistics <laughs> right. don't work anecdotally right. my, in right. little populations my, oh, my, my friends argue all the time we're, exactly. we're arguing it's yeah. okay you know yes. so yeah. yeah it's interesting it's, it's interesting to polarize. how that becomes imbued that assumption becomes a fact and 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 and, and suddenly that is a fact that is a fact that all couples argue 
and and I, I think lucky people are better at challenging those assumptions, being more flexible and going, hold on a second. Uh, and maybe there's another way of, of structuring this situation. If you were going to tell people who want to be lucky, they want to be positive, they, they're having, they're in this negative route, what is one or two things that they can do today to start that motion towards being lucky, positive people? Uh, I think the easiest thing is, is what psychologists would call a gratitude diary, which is that every night uh, you just write down one positive thing in your life, whether it's a positive event that's happened to you, something that you're fortunate about, whether it's your health or your friends or your family or the situation you're in. Um, and over a two week period, that really does lift your mood because you're writing down these things. It for forces you to focus on the, the positive. I think that's that's very important. Um, I would also go back to uh, Mr. Rogers, uh, fantastic. Uh, Fred uh, Rogers? American, one of my, he's oh, uh, yeah, he, we he's are... my dear friend. Like, he may oh, rest really? in peace. Yeah. yeah so it was, it was such a blessing to have him in my life. Yes. Oh, my goodness. I had sought him out. He was a. I was writing an article in, in parents in different parenting magazines. So I sought him out. What a ten-minute interview turned into a couple hours, and then we would we would get together and, and be able to visit huh. and yeah. uh, <laughs> remarkable. And everything. Something. Did you have a chance to meet him? No. You see, also over here we didn't get the shows, oh. so I didn't grow oh. up with it. I just want to say to, to I want to say to everybody out there, everything you saw on on TV that was him. He was the most genuine positive real person and that was so you know how people think and maybe this is a good point for lucky people think people are positive somehow they think they're shallow and everything's just yeah. you know, happy everything's happy good, yeah but he was willing to discuss with me about terrorism after 9-11 i mean it wasn't like he was he was a brilliant man who was willing to talk about all kinds of issues and debate all kinds of issues but he had this this r remarkable um, gentleness and 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 really got you. I mean, yeah, that's. I remember when I w met him when I was younger, and I would get in there and like I was a fast talker, and I was you know, I, and like after like five minutes, like you were just talking like this to him, like you, you could <laughs> not like, continue. Slow. He was not going to budge from seeing life in in that methodical, slow, caring way. Anyway, I'm sorry, but do tell. So well, no, 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 that's phenomenal. <laughs> you're that's, that's you're phenomenal. talking. So I'm, I'm we're the fan club. We're the Fred Rogers fan club. Yeah, number one. <laughs> yes. Oh, we, we should. I mean, because it's it's such powerful stuff. And actually, what you're saying there um, is is it boils down to authenticity. And and audience. I mean, I'm I'm a performer. I, I spend a lot of my time uh, sort of uh, giving talks. And one of the things I talk about is that as a performer, audiences can smell when you're not authentic. I couldn't tell you what it is, but I can tell you a performer who who doesn't believe what they're saying versus one that, that does. And, and the wonderful thing about Fred Rogers is that authenticity was just all the way through him. You just knew, wrong or right, in terms of, it doesn't matter what his beliefs were, he absolutely, sincerely believed them. And I was gonna say that, that obviously his, his fantastic phrase, look for the helpers. When there's a, a terrible situation, always look for the people that are helping out because it gives you hope. And of course to adult, he said, you know, be the helpers. It's just a wonderful reframing of, you know, when we're bombarded with terrible images, as we are with the media and, and so on, of always looking for the people who are helping just gives you this fantastic role models to, to, to work with. And so I'm a huge fan of him and I'm a huge fan of the simplicity and the powerfulness of, of his advice. Yeah, well, you, you've, uh, you, have a good, you have good taste in uh, being a fan. <laughs> so, so let's get to the concept of paranormal. Yeah, so we're very curious about this. Because <laughs> I think because people believe in 
you know, paranormal sounds like something psychic. Okay, that's one thing. I mean, people believe about talking to people have passed on, etc. But, you know, people believe in angels and devils and, uh, and prayer, prayer yeah. is a big thing. What's your give us the, the quick view from your perspective on it? Uh, well, I spent about a decade looking at the, the paranormal. And so I was looking at psychics and mediums and ghosts. I'm doing this interview now from Edinburgh in Scotland, which is uh, allegedly one of the most haunted places uh, in the world. So if any if a shadowy figure moves behind <laughs> you, <laughs> let me know. Um, so uh, my, my, my take on it is pretty sceptical. And that's what Paranormality, the, the, the book, was about. It was about the psychology behind these things. What I think is important is we're not dismissive. Uh, we know around about a third of people in the world claim to have experienced something paranormal, around about two thirds believe. And what we want to do is try and unpack those experiences and they come in all different shapes and sizes. So when it comes to ghosts, for example, um, it's kind of interesting. There's something called infrasound, which is very low frequency sound waves that can be produced by traffic rumbling by or uh, an air conditioning system or something like that. That affects us even though we can't hear it. It makes us feel uneasy. It can make candles flicker. Uh, and so we might think that's if we're in an old building, that's a ghost. That's one sort of psychology. When it comes to mediums and psychics, well, they're pretty good at telling us general statements about ourselves. You know, like look at your palm and say, oh, you're someone with a, a lot of untapped creative potential. And we all go, yes, that's amazing. Yeah, that, that's me. You know, very few of us want to go, no. He's one of those guys. So that's another sort of psychology. Why do we go to mediums and psychics? Same reason we want to believe in luck. Tells us about our future. Gives us a sense of control and, and so on. Uh, if you've lost a loved one, unfortunately, if you go to a medium, you know, you feel like you're in touch with them. Clearly, uh, emotional uh, benefits to that. So we're going to end here for part one. We have more great things. Yeah, we got very, some really very, interesting stuff coming up yeah, about you're dreams. You're going to learn a lot about and... uh, helping your kids with nightmares. Yeah. And the world's greatest joke is coming up in part two. <laughs> Dr. Richard so Wiseman. We look forward to that. Go to NewmanMethod.com, N-E-U-M-A-N Method.com. And uh, we look forward to meeting you back here next week.